Hello, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money. I'm Omli, and I'm here before the episode starts to introduce you to today's guest, Charlotte Dar. Charlotte is a money coach and the founder of Save Live Thrive, a financial literacy business that helps provide millennial women with the information, tools, and confidence they need to own their financial futures. On today's episode, we talk to Charlotte all about her money story and the inspiration to start her own business. You can find Charlotte at Save Live Thrive on all platforms, and she just released a new online course, The Core Essentials of Personal Finance. Go check her out, and we hope you enjoy our conversation with Charlotte. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everybody's Bad with Money, where we share stories and get real about personal finance. We make money talk fun. I'm Amelie. And I'm AJ, and we are super excited to have our first conversation with Charlotte Dar. Let's dive in. What's your deal? Tell us about um, your money story. <laughs> yeah. So when I was growing up, I definitely grew up in a family that didn't talk about money very much. So a lot of the personal finance information that I had going into college just stemmed from the basics that I think a lot of us here, like start saving money. Just that's it. There's no other information, just save and, you know, don't spend a ton of money in general. So then when I began my college education and I went to community college for a year to try to save money. But again, I didn't really know what that meant because I had a job working at a retail, I had a retail job and I basically spent all of the money that I made at that job just on clothes, really frivolous things. So yeah. So why did you go, were you like incentivized by your parents to go to community college to save? Yes. So I um, was all, I always knew that I was going to be fully responsible for all of my living expenses, school expenses after I graduated high school. So funding my college education was fully on me, like completely financially independent as soon as I hit 18. So I wanted to go to community college to save money. And I wasn't entirely sure on what school I wanted to go to for my degree as an undergrad. So my degrees were in music education and vocal performance. So I'm a classically trained opera singer. And by the time I transferred to my full-time university, I ended up double majoring in those two degrees. And music education is the highest credit requiring degree that was offered at my university. So at the time of me graduating, it was 145 credits and the typical single major was 120 credits. So we have additional years worth of courses that we had to take, but we needed to fit it in to four and a half years. And then I double majored on top of that. You're insane. I think Where did I, you go to college? Michigan State University. Okay. I, oh, nice, nice. Time, it was a fantastic experience. They have a really great music education program. Yeah. I loved my time there, but I remember that it was around a year and a half before I graduated my undergraduate degree that I decided to sit down and calculate the debt that I was in. And granted, I 
felt that I had done all of the quote unquote right things by going to community college first, getting some, um, you know, core credits out of the way. I applied for as many different scholarships and grants as I could. Um, my family, personally, I was eligible for a Pell Grant due to financial need. So I was doing all of those correct things, yeah. but I sat down and between mostly my student loans, like that's probably about 70% of the total debt that I was in was my student loans, an auto loan, and a little bit of credit card debt. I was looking at about $78,000 of debt total. And I was sitting there and I was like, I'm about to be a freelance musician and a music teacher. Like I <laughs> needed to figure out how to pay off this debt as quickly as possible because the career path that I'm going into is not known for its high income earning potential. Right. So that led me down the path of just really pouring myself into learning as much about personal finance as I could. And then after a period of time, you know, I started seeing the transformation that that those concepts had into my life had in my life. So I stopped doing silly, frivolous things like going to Ulta every weekend and just shopping for whatever the new makeup release was. I started in, I started working towards the systems or excuse me, let me start over. I started working on building a budget that was reflective of me and my values and my lifestyle. And as I started experiencing the freedom that that control over my money brought me, that's when I started just openly sharing what I was going through with my friends and my family. And after a while, they started asking me about things that they could do with their money and then at the start of the coronavirus pandemic, I saw so many of my colleagues and friends lose all of their income for the year yeah. because you know, musicians are part of the gig economy. And a lot of them did not have the same education and personal finance as I had, you know, looked for myself. And that's when I started blogging about per personal finance. And then that has now turned into Save Live Thrive as we know it today. So that's a bit about, that's basically my story, starting from knowing nothing, racking up all of that debt, and then taking the initiative and motivation to just figure out how to make personal finance work for me. Amazing. I think it's such a good idea to do the community college thing, like right before you go to, to a full-time university. And it's, I don't know why more people don't do it. I guess there is like an aspect to it. That's kind of scary because you feel like you're going to be going to a different school with different friends, but I just think it's such a good financial decision. And I'm honestly so impressed that you at 18 years old, like decided to do that. Because I think even if my parents had been like, this is a really smart financial decision, I never would have listened to them. So I'm interested, I'm interested in just like what that experience was like for you. And if you would recommend it to other people. Yeah. So I, looking back at my time at community, community college now, I wish I had almost even taken more advantage of it that I had like maybe taken some language classes or some additional credit requirements while I was there. Because again, the credits at my community college at the time, it was like $102 for in-county students per credit versus at my university, it was, I think, $545 as an undergrad. Oh my God. <laughs> big difference in yeah. 
how much each credit costs. And I think looking back on it, I did enjoy my experience at community college. It was a little bit isolating. I'm going to be honest. Like a lot of my friends had gone off to, you know, their full-time universities and I was still living at home and going to community college classes, but I did find a couple of different friends that they were going to the same community college or a nearby school that a lot of other students would go to for a year or two and then transfer. So I do wish that I had kind of leaned into those support systems a little bit more so that I wasn't just feeling like I was home with my parents all day. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was, it did help pay off financially because if I had gone through community college, if I had not gone to community college and taken those same credits at Michigan State, that probably would have easily added an extra $15,000 to my student bill. Yeah. Um, and that's not even accounting for cost of living and things like that. That would have been pretty much all towards tuition. Yeah. yeah. You could not have asked 18-year-old AJ to go to community college. Like, <laughs> I know. No, I was... Um, I was so proud. Like I just had so much um, like ego about going to college. I mean, I went to school in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Like it was just, you went, if you had good grades, you went to college. Like even if you didn't have good grades, you went to college. And like, I went to, I studied um, theater in college. And so I, even though I got into all these other schools and got like full financial aid, I was like, no, I got to go to Ithaca. It's the best theater program. So that's where I'm going even though yeah. it's the only school that gave me the least amount of money. <laughs> I, I totally understand that. So one of the driving factors of me going to community college, um, not only did I mention not knowing what school I wanted to go to, but I was actually accepted into Carnegie Mellon University. Oh, wow. I was like, wow. All set to go there. And then I got my bill for Carnegie Mellon and you had to make your first deposit. And I got my financial aid offer. And I was like, the and I, I remember my financial aid offer for federal student loans only was more expensive than my entire loan offering at Michigan State. So it was like by the time I got all that information from Carnegie Mellon, it was too late for me to make a change to go to any other university. So that was a driving factor as well of right. me going to community college where I was like, I'm not going there. Yeah. I can enroll in this place pretty quickly. And I am potentially a little guilty of like flying by the seat of my pants. And when an opportunity <laughs> comes up, I'm just like, whatever, fine. I'll figure out the implications of it later. Mm -hmm. But that was part of the reason as well, but it is expensive. And especially when you're talking about these private universities, it costs a lot of money. And I totally agree that I wish more young people were open to the opportunity of going to community college, but I'm going to be honest, like there, I, my sister, <laughs> who I love dearly and appreciate a lot, she went to a big name uh, university in the the big 10 in the Midwest. And she mm -hmm. had a really great time there, but she kind of rubbed the community college in my face a little bit at like the start of her education. And I don't know, it, it's, I can see why it's definitely something that 18 year olds don't tend to choose. Yeah. 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 It is. It's a smart decision though. Like it really is, especially, I mean, I'm, I was in the same boat as you that I didn't really know 
exactly where I wanted to go. And I ended up going to the University of Vermont. And similarly to you, like it was the it was the best decision I've ever made. It turned me into who I am today, like absolutely no regrets, but I didn't calculate out what that would cost or like what that, what implications that had for me coming out of college. It was just like, Oh, I'll go here. Like that's fine. I also wish more 18 year olds or just like people considering school would even consider like trade schools, you know, like I think maybe it's becoming a little bit more of a thing in our culture, but at least where I grew up, it was like, you go to college. And it's like, that's not, that's not the only option. There's so many other things that you can do. I don't know. I think about this all the time. (laughs) Trade school jobs end up where you graduate, you get your certification, whatever. And your starting salary is higher than a lot of careers with four-year degrees. And I think that, you know, our society has had so much pressure on you have to go to university, get a four-year education. And that's become the standard. But I totally agree with you that I think that's changing more now, especially as the student debt crisis continues yeah. to yeah. you're up. It's I don't feel like it's slowing down. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, but, it's hard. There's a there's a value that Americans put on like someone sitting behind a cubicle. Absolutely. Versus, versus I, you know, going out of college, I was making more money as a waitress and like I was a junior waitress, senior servers were making six figures, like, and and that's just one example, like a plumber makes so much money. Plumbers make so much money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was so interesting. When I lived in Australia, they, they totally honor and love tradies. Like being a tradie is a huge badge of honor in Australia and New Zealand. And I remember like I, my first guy that I met who was a plumber, he was training to be a plumber. And I was like, weird. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to be so rich. (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. Um, Yeah. It's uh, it's fascinating. Do you think that, so it's really interesting because when I was reading your um, website, I was like, it seemed like she was pretty woke to money stuff like really early on. Like it's like, cause you're like, and after you like knew what to do. And I'm just wondering if there was like anything from your childhood that like made you more conscious. Like, I guess like, cause like I might've saw that bill at Carnegie Mellon and been like, that's how much college costs. Like that's it, you know? Um, and you kind of knew that that wasn't like right for you. So did something like happen when you were younger that really like kind of uh, molded your beliefs around money? So yes and no. So my family, I we didn't talk about money too much growing up. I knew that my grandparents were always very, very frugal. So when my parents got divorced, um, when I was in like fifth grade, my mom, she got her own house somewhere else. And then my dad kind of became the caretaker of my grandparents and we lived with them as well. And so I, my grandparents kind of ended up being co-parents at, with me and my sister also. And they were extremely frugal with their money. And my grandma would always be looking for the best deal and always talking about saving money for a rainy day and everything. So I think a lot of my awareness around saving and frugality came from my grandparents. But then on the flip side, I think my mom went through a period of time where, you know, she accumulated some credit card debt and she was shopping. And I think it's, you know, a post divorce 
life and she's a single woman and making ends meet. So some of those expenses are going on a credit card. And definitely through, I can kind of remember this transition where when I was in middle school, I was going shopping with my mom really frequently. Like that was a just past the time activity that we would do on the weekends. And I remember going into high school that suddenly stopped and we stopped doing that as often. And that was around the same time that my mom bought her house, which that was the first house that she owned outright on her own. And she actually ended up paying off her mortgage. I want to say 20 years early. She had a 30 mortgage refinance and basically sent everything she could towards that mortgage. And I watched that transition from, you know, when we were living in an apartment before she bought the house and then her buying the house and making all of those ends meet and then ultimately paying off her mortgage. But all of those different pieces didn't really click for me until I was around like 22 years old or so. And I started thinking about, okay, this is what these behaviors led to and what the changes that people in my life have made. Um, Another big role model when it comes to money has definitely been my aunt and uncle. And they always lived very well below their means. And I know that they're very comfortable now. Um, They they made the sacrifices early on to make sure that they were saving enough money so that when they got to the retirement age, they have the freedom and flexibility to travel and take different opportunities that they want and do their like dream renovation of their kitchen, things like that. But again, when you're 17, 18 and you're seeing these things around you, you don't really know what they mean until you get a little bit down the line. and. One thing that I remember that I really wish had been driven home to me more when I was 16, 17 years old was the power of compound interest and what that means for your finances. So when I was 18 and I was ready to go to Michigan State, I needed to take out private student loans for my first year. So I should say majority of my student loans came from the first two years that I was in school. That's like how big that bill was. And then, um, you know, by the time I was towards the end of my degree, I had more scholarships and things like that. But my first year I had to take out a private loan and the person that I asked to co-sign, I didn't know what credit scores meant. I didn't know what co-signing meant. I just basically assumed that everyone in my life that I looked up to was responsible with their finances. Mm -hmm. So I signed the private loan paperwork and basically didn't think about it until a year and a half before I graduated. And I sat down and that's when I was calculating all of that debt. And I realized that that $8,000 initial private loan had an 11% interest rate on it, which is the highest student loan interest rate that I have personally talked to anyone and heard (laughs) happens to be my own. And I sat down and I was like, and by the time I calculated everything up, it had accumulated about just shy of $4,000 in additional interest. So that $8,000 loan in about four years turned into a almost $13,000 loan. And I think it was, I ended up paying 13,500 by the time I paid it off. But 
I knew in my reading, I was like, that is the loan that has to go. And that was the first thing that I paid off before even graduating college. That was the first thing that I did in that year and a half. But I wish that 17 year old me had known what that interest rate really means, because I didn't even remember giving it a second thought. I was like, oh, okay, this is what they're offering me. That must be the best thing that I can get. And I signed the paperwork because you're 17 and you have no yeah, idea. No idea. Yeah, no idea. Right. So I hope that answers your question. Like kind of yes and no. I saw yeah. these behaviors around me, but when you're young and naive, you, you don't necessarily know what they all mean. Yeah. Oh, not at all. I mean, I think you were light years ahead of me. It's <laughs> even at 17 and 18. Um, I want to know, like, so you said that you were starting to pay off some student loans while you were in college. And it seems like now you like definitely have a handle on things. Like what are your methods to actually pay off the money? Like, how did you do that while you were still in school? Can I, when I want to piggyback off that question too. Yeah, sure. Um, you said your mom like aggressively paid off her mortgage. And I'm curious, like it piggybacking off of Amelie's question, like um, why she did that and what your thoughts are about that um, in terms of tackling debt. Yeah. So I'll start with the question about my mom and her mortgage. I think for her, she got to a point where she was feeling more and more ready to move away from Michigan, which is where I'm from, back to where her family's from in South Carolina. So I think once my parents got divorced, that like became more of a need for her that she wanted to accomplish. But I think she probably started feeling that around like five years after she had bought her house. So I think for her, she was thinking like, I want the freedom to be able to make that decision when I want to and not have to worry about, you know, hitting XYZ marks when she wanted to sell her house. Mm -hmm. And for her, I think it just ultimately came down to that element of freedom and flexibility. But paying off your mortgage early does have its a whole set of tax implications and th like it's a very major financial decision that people should make. So I never advocate that like there's one specific way to do something because it totally depends on each person's um, values, goals, and financial situation. So that is what she personally wanted when she was paying off her mortgage. And she actually, I think two, two months ago, yeah, she moved to South Carolina finally. Oh, wow. so she sold her house and moved and she was really happy that she basically got to just put up her house for sale and whatever it sold for, she got to just walk away with. And she was yeah, really huge. happy about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I'm sorry, what was the other question? <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. I was uh, asking. Okay. I blinked for a second too. <laughs> when you were in college, how were you paying off your student loans? Cause I think yeah. that, I think that there are a lot of listeners and just people in general who have this, who hear the word, the buzzwords, like pay off your student loans, but it's like, let's get, get down to the nitty gritty. Like, how did you actually do that? Yeah. So I want to say, so when I was going through this realization, I had just ended my first lease that I just kind of blindly signed at an apartment. And again, I thought whatever price I found was a good price. I did not go 
bargain hunting at all for different apartment prices. And one of the first things that I started looking into is how can I lower my cost of living? And what I ended up doing is I got an apart, I ended up getting an apartment that was twice as big, new furniture and everything that was $300 cheaper per month from the first apartment that I ever leased when I was a college student. So wow. that right there, that opened up $300 that I was able to work with by just changing where I was living. And all that took is I had to drive 10 minutes to get to campus, which, you know, for me was not a big deal. I had an on-campus job and I would just park in that lot that I had as a student employee and just walk. And ultimately, like there were some days when it was really cold outside that I was very <laughs> resentful of that or would maybe just like pay for parking a little bit closer to where my classes were. But that was a really big thing is moving off campus, finding an apartment that was cheaper and more affordable that still didn't compromise on what I was looking for in a living space. And the next thing that I did is I worked all the time when I was an undergraduate student. And a lot of my friends would find out that I was paying for school and paying for my living expenses and my food. And they would say, how are you managing all of that? Because I still had a social life. I would meet up with them, but I basically just prioritized working as much as I could with going to school. And that kind of you know, made me put up some boundaries with my coursework. And if I was ever asked to do something last minute for a class, I would basically say like, no, I have a job. And a lot of times those professors would be respectful for that. Like, no, I can't go do this random observation at this time with a 24 hour notice. So I put up those boundaries to make sure that I was prioritizing work. And I also spent a lot of time finding a student job that I felt would give me a lot of benefit for my time that was spent. So, and the job that I ended up having, I felt like it paid pretty well for a student position. And then I was able to work it full time over the summers so that I didn't have to worry about going into debt or anything when I didn't have that scholarship during the summer months because my scholarship was only active for the school year. And so that's another component. I ended up having the last two years that I was in school, I ended up getting a grant for my education degree. And that ended up covering um, basically my cost of living expenses. So I no longer had to take out student loans for my living expenses. And what I did was all of my loans cover, excuse me, all of my scholarships and grants, I sent that all towards tuition in my last two years. I had a little bit of cushion money for the living expenses, but then everything that I worked, that I spent my time working for would cover whatever I was spending on, you know, rent, housing, utilities, whatever, transportation. And then I started just aggressively paying it off towards debt. And I think that that's ultimately what it comes down to is making it a priority because you have to be willing to put in the time to find ways to open up that money in your budget in order to make that whatever your financial goal is a priority in general, whether that be paying off debt or saving money, if you're not prioritizing it, 
then it's not going to happen. And it's a little uncomfortable at times, but you also have to learn how to say no and say no to different things that come up. And one thing that happened um, right at the beginning of me figuring out how much debt I was in, I was supposed to take a kind of spring vacation to Hilton Head, South Carolina with my friends. But at this time, I had no money saved. Like this was at the beginning of my financial journey. I think I literally had $500 in my savings account. And that is how much my friends and I had budgeted that this trip would cost each. And I feel a little guilty for this now, but I've talked to these friends since and they're like, no, I'm glad you did this. But I ended up backing out of the trip because I was like, if I go on this vacation, I can't spend all of my cash on a vacation. I'm going to accumulate debt to go on it. And I ended up saying like, I just cannot afford this. And they ended up going on the trip anyways. It didn't cost them any like extra money. A different friend ended up going on it instead. But even though that was really hard at the time, and it definitely resulted in an argument between my friends and I, sure. I know that that decision was best for me financially at the time. Because if I had put it on credit card debt at, the, at that point in my financial journey, I did not have the discretionary income to be able to pay that off quickly. And then I probably would have had a 20% interest rate on that vacation bill. So becoming comfortable with saying no. How old were you when you, uh, when you made this? I think, I think at that time I was 19. So I had this Ooh. epiphany that you just experienced at 26, 27. <laughs> Literally. Same, same, same. No, you were not 26, 27. <laughs> Before I started saying no to vacations, I, I okay, maybe 25. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, that's true. Okay, 25. Yeah, All right, 25. Okay, All right, I'll give it to you. I mean, yeah. the, num the number of vacations I put on credit cards, it's like disgusting to think about. I remember I went to, this is actually so crazy, I went to Columbia with two of my friends and I literally had no savings. Put the flight on a credit card, put my like spending on a credit card. And it was so funny because I posted a picture on Instagram of like myself in Columbia and my friend's younger sister commented and she was like, I want your life or something like that. And I was like, oh my God, like, no, you do not want my life. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm, it looks like I'm having a good time to everybody on social media, but internally I'm like, why did I do this? Right. This is so stupid. Like yeah. I'm going to have to pay more money on this because I don't have money to pay it off. It's yeah. just, it's yeah. so crazy. Two and that's something, oh, sorry. I was just saying two thirds of my backpacking through Asia was on credit card. I, I spent, I have saved 5,000 and I spent 10,000 on the credit cards, maybe like 7,000 on the credit cards. And I saved 5,000 uh. and, um, <laughs> and I, pay, I paid that off. So that was 2012. I paid that off in 2018. So I was like paying back like, or 2017 and 2018, I was paying back my mistakes from 2012. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And then I didn't have a credit card for a very long time. And instead of like, um, I didn't, I couldn't put trips on credit cards. I would like get a private yoga teach a private yoga teaching gig and like I would like literally like hoard all this money and then it would like immediately here's five hundred dollars here you go like to this vacation right. and that's when I was like I can't do this anymore like this just doesn't work right absolutely 
Yeah. And I think finding what the best system for paying off that debt is for each person. And I basically to piggyback off what you said about the having this life on social media that like looks really glamorous and fun on the outside. That's something that people will say to me in my DMs on Instagram all the time. They'll message me and they'll say that exact thing. And that is not an uncommon emotion for people to experience. And I always share with them, like, you can absolutely get out of this debt cycle situation. Even if you're only able to save an extra $5 a month, that is still money that can be saved to help keep you out of the debt cycle down the road. So I always recommend when people are starting out, make sure that you have that emergency fund saved so that if a negative financial event arises, then you have that money ready when you need it. You don't have to put it on a credit card. And then also give yourself flexibility when you're creating your budget to prepare for different types of expenses that are coming up. So I never want my clients to have to turn down the things that they really love and are excited about. Sometimes that has to happen and it's a huge bummer when it does, but ideally I don't want them to have to turn down these opportunities. So it's important to be flexible with your budget and recognize if something comes up, like there's an amazing opportunity to go backpacking through Asia, like <laughs> no to that, to prepare for that as much as you can ahead of time. And that would be a justifiable reason to stop prioritizing your debt repayment because you know that if you're sending all of this money towards, let's say like student loan debt that tends to have a lower interest rate and you're sending all the money there, but then you know you're gonna put this vacation or whatever on a credit card that has probably a 20% or 19% interest rate instead, it's gonna make more sense to just pay the minimum payment on the student loans while you're saving up that money for your vacation and giving yourself the flexibility on that debt repayment journey to still enjoy the things that you want in life. And that's like, I feel like I say that all the time, like finding that balance so that yeah. you can achieve your financial goals and still be doing the things that you value and love. That is the ultimate goal. Yeah. I, um, I so work well a lot with clients and just in general, people want to throw money at debt so badly because there's so much shame around it. That was me. That was and me as a client. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to take every single dollar that I earn and pay off my debt and have no savings. And I, yeah. And I was like, you can't, you can't, you can't. And then she moved into an apartment and she was able to put like first month's rent and whatever security. And I was like, aren't you glad you didn't like that you had it? Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and I just think uh, it's, there's so much literature out there on the focus on debt, focus on debt. Like we're pretty, we're like the anti-Dave Ramsey methodology. Awesome. Um, but it yeah. was, I was talking to my friend who I really respect, like in his opinions about finance. And I was like, what's the deal? Like, it's not, I've done the math. Like I literally spent an entire day, like doing the math to see if you, if it actually is worth it. Cause I was like, this is my belief. Now let me like get the facts. And so I was doing the math and I was like, if I pay off debt in 10, if this much time and I only focus on paying debt and not building wealth, what does that look like with compounding interest? And you obviously end up having more money in the long run. The right. longer you have money saved, you're going to have more money in the long run, like yeah. bar none. And he was just saying, he was like, you're, you, you, 
assume too much of people and like a really he's like you think the best of everybody and you think that people are going to be able to like manage this balance of um of saving and paying off debt and he's like dave ramsey is working with expect the worst of people mm-hmm. and the worst of people is get out of debt at least and and then move towards the other it's like focus on one thing at a time but like i just know and, and it doesn't work because I have gotten myself out of credit card debt before when I was younger. And then I immediately went back into it because I had zero to show for it. I had nothing in savings. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that the key is to focus on building positive financial habits and behaviors so that organizing all of those different debts and savings objectives, those can be balanced because of those positive habits and behaviors that are set up. So that's what I spend so much time working on with my clients is not only identifying, you know, their their goals and creating a budget that works for them, but like the first 4 weeks of my program is entirely devoted to identifying those like where they are financially, what their values and goals are, talking about the importance of getting them to achieve those goals and all of that time building up the habit of tracking your spending and getting used to watching where your money is going and being mindful of that. Because I think a mistake that a lot of people make is they'll make a budget and they just write down just arbitrary numbers on a page. And I I really hate these like blanket one size fits all rules. I'm sorry, baby steps. Like I don't like them. <laughs> and so those rules don't mean a lot to someone when it has nothing to do with their goals and their financial situation. So yeah, I totally agree that there's there's not like this one size fits all solution. And I think one reason why people, in addition to wanting or not being able to organize, keep everything organized while paying off debt and saving money, but also kind of that financial, that feeling of freedom that comes around when you've paid off debt. But I think a lot of people want to have that money saved in the bank as well. So it's important to talk about compound interest and talk about it early so that people understand how it is helping or hurting them in their overall journey. That was kind of a scattered answer. <laughs> thought process. <laughs> no, I, I think it's so important. It's important for people to hear, like, I don't know, people who have done a lot of research into this, like what yeah. they, what their conclusions are. Yeah. I want to um, ask, so obviously you are a financial coach, which is awesome. And you briefly touched upon this when you were talking about your money story, but how exactly did you become I'm a financial coach. What does that look like now? And are you still doing things with music? Yeah. So I kind of, I feel like I sort of fell into financial coaching because I was doing all of this research. I literally would read like every blog post that nerd wallet and the balance would share that would, I mean, they share a lot of blog posts every day, but I would just <laughs> sit and read as many of their blogs as I could. I ordered lots of different books from different financial gurus, if you will. And Dave Ramsey's books were actually like the first books that got me started on my journey. And at first I was like, yes, like, I love this. And then I started doing more research and I'm like, no, like, I don't love it. <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly like, what happened to me too. Yeah. I like at first was like, 
Dave Ramsey's speaking to my soul. Like I need to just like buckle down. And then after like a couple of months, I was like, this is overwhelming. I don't like this. (laughs) So Amelie was one of my first clients and she was like, I love Dave Ramsey. And I was like, I don't know, but let me give it a shot. If she likes, let me listen to his podcast. And they, and he had this couple on and he was like, he was like, Oh, what do you do? He's like, I'm an engineer. And she's like, what do you do? She's like, I'm a stay at home wife. And I was like, okay. And he was, and he goes, good for you. And I was like, okay, that's weird. Why are you a stay at home wife? Like, what are you like? He wasn't like, you know, like in the UN, like running all over the world and she needed to keep the home. He like had like a very standard nine to five job. Right. And then, and then when they went through their debt history, it was all her debt. (laughs) It was all of her debt. And then she what it, and then he was he was paying it off and she was making him sacrifice like all of his things so that they could pay off her debt and she was like and she even said she was like you know I'm much more introverted than a homebody but it was much harder for him you know like he had to give up like a lot of things he had to sacrifice a lot of things so he had to sacrifice like hanging out with his friends doing all this stuff to pay off her debt that she literally didn't pay a dollar to fix because she was a stay-at-home wife at yeah. Four years old, by the way. She was 24 years old, like fully capable person. And I was like, I am never. And he totally was like, good for you. This is so great. And he was like promoting this and he didn't call her out on anything. And I was like, I am never listening to you again. Yeah. I'm so turned off. And like a lot of his advice, I feel like will just be mean sometimes. Like that's exactly what I, what I ended up like being like, I can't listen to this anymore because he'll, people will call in and they're like really stressed out with their financial situations. And he like makes them feel worse. And I'm like, this is the opposite of what you want to be doing to people. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. Scary. And the, I don't know, the answer isn't always just live on beans and rice, which he says all the time, like just live on beans and rice. I'm like, that's not healthy. And if you're talking about paying off debt and that takes years, you can't, tell people to live like that for that long. And I know that, you know, people can become resourceful and they can do different things, but it's not, it's not sustainable and it's not positive. And I don't think his energy is positive. (laughs) And I think it's a great place that a lot, because he's so vocal and he's so known in the industry, I think it's a place that a lot of people will start off at, but I don't think it's the end goal. Like, I think, I think there's, um, how should I say more, more friendly financial sustainable. I would say more sustainable ways. Um, speaking of which, what are your thoughts? We haven't talked about this on the podcast, but what are your thoughts on the fire community? So I think, I think it's a pretty cool initiative if they want to retire early and save up as much money as they can as early as possible. That's fine with me. I think that like it's a really great initiative to work towards. I also don't think that it fits everyone and is realistic for everyone. So this kind of goes back to my belief of like there's not a one size fits all solution. I think that you know, financial education can give you the tools to get you wherever you need to go, but not everyone wants to retire by 45 and, you know, live off of that amount saved. I know, I also know that I've seen, I followed some, um, fire movement people and they want to retire at like the age of 35 with like $1.5 million saved. And for me, I'm kind of like, 
that's like a little, that's under what people are recommended to have saved at yes. 65. That's yeah. not enough. And I'm yeah. like, and the reason why I thought of it was like, I think a lot of people who do the fire either live off rice and beans or honestly, they're living at home. Right. And I'm like, so you're letting somebody else foot the bill. It's not like you're actually like financially independent. Right. And right. you're like trying to hit this goal of 1.5 mil. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're going to need more by the time you retire. Yeah. yeah. And maybe for them, that means that they want to take like a really stress-free job, like a job that's just for mm. fun. Like my mom, she's in retirement now and she loves to garden. So I'm like, mom, go get a job at like a greenhouse or something. Yeah something that you enjoy. But she ended up looking at like full-time jobs, doing what she was doing before she retired. And I'm like, don't do that. Like you're retired go do something. <laughs> so maybe that's what they would be interested in doing or pursuing some type of, you know, career option. That's not just centered around the income. So I don't know. I kind of feel like to each their own in a way, if someone wants to be part of the fire movement, I think that there's a lot that you can learn up from it. But personally, I'm not part of the fire movement. I don't think I ever will be. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I actually agree with that. Also, we totally interrupted you. So um, I think the question that we had asked was, talk about being a money coach and do you still do things with music as well? Yeah. So yeah, so I basically spent as much time as I could reading different blogs, different books, and just learning as much as I could about the personal finance industry. And then after I started blogging about personal finance is when I was approached for approached about working with my first client and that client wanted to work with me. And I was like, am I allowed to do this? And I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I can. And that was kind of how um, my financial coaching business began is just having that first person ask me if I did individual work with people. And then I said, yeah, sure. Like, absolutely. And now I'm officially an accredited financial counselor candidate. So I'm working through the courses, gaining up the experience hours to get that full AFC designation. And it's kind of it's turning into what I want to be a full career change for me. So I am still singing and I do some performing and I am still teaching some private lessons and early childhood music classes as well. But my ultimate goal is I want to grow my financial coaching business into full time because I love it. And I think that, you know, personal finance impacts us in every area of our lives, I would argue. And we would also argue. Yeah, we would also. definitely argue. <laughs> so it it is really transformative when people are given the tools to take control of their money and feel that empowerment that they have over their financial decisions and feel confident in those decisions. And it's amazing just seeing the transformation that people will go through when they have access to quality and realistic and sustainable financial education and someone to motivate them and yeah. keep them held accountable. So I am still singing, um, but I love helping people with personal finance. I love it. I think about it all the time. 
<laughs> yeah, as do we, as do we. Yeah. I think that's a perfect transition. Um, we would love for you to promote yourself. Where can people find you? Anything else that you want to promote? I know you have a, a course that's launch, launching soon, so we definitely want to hear about that too. Yeah, so it's actually launching today. Oh, perfect. <laughs> love that. So, and that is, um, it's called the Core Essentials of Personal Finance, and it basically covers the basics of everything from setting sustainable financial goals, um, identifying your financial snapshot, so getting a really clear view of where your finances are, how to organize and streamline your financial process so that you can save money and pay off debt, and it also covers just the basics of different accounts that people should have and look into, like checking account, savings account, retirement accounts, and what those different retirement accounts are. Because a lot of times people will come up to me and they're like, there's so many letters and numbers in those accounts and I don't know what they mean. So I cover all of that as well as some information on, you know, like a 529 plan and HSA as well, because those are things that people hear about. But again, it's like, what is that thing? Um, so really the course is centered on helping people identify what their financial process will look like, because it, again, it's different for everyone. And then addition to, in addition to the course, I offer a 12 week long individual money coaching program where we cover everything from what's included in that course, but as well as focusing on, you know, money mindset and finding that accountability and really digging in to make sure that there is a very sustainable process and building all of those healthy habits and behaviors around personal finance. And you can follow me at, um, on Instagram at save, love, thrive. And on TikTok, I have a very small TikTok account. <laughs> it's like at save.live.thrive because they changed their like username requirements. And I had to add some periods. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> My blog is save, love, thrive.com. Amazing. I love it. We have two more questions for you. The first is if you were to describe your relationship with money in one word, what would that be? Oh man, I think, I think I would say empowered, like, or confident. Mm. That's two words, but one of the two, <laughs> like feeling like now I feel like I'm in a place where even if something crazy comes up, like for example, I just took like two weeks sick at home and I wasn't able to teach all of the private voice lessons that I generally do um, because I didn't, I lost my voice for a period of time and it was fine. I was like, okay, I'm taking a little bit of an income hit, but I know I have this money saved and I know I have cushion in my budget. Like it's okay. And I was literally thinking about this the other day and I was like, Three years ago, even if that had happened and I lost a portion of my income for two weeks, I would have been in absolute panic mode. And I just think about it now and I'm like, I feel so confident in my money. Yeah. And that's an amazing feeling. And I want everyone to feel that way. And it is absolutely possible to feel that way no matter where you are or how bad you were with money at whatever point in time, like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a light at the end of the tunnel and it's achievable for everyone. Totally. Yeah. It's such a good feeling. Like truly there's nothing that compares. Right. Yeah. I uh, agree. And our second, we always like to end our podcast with saying three things that we're grateful for. Would you like to start us off? Yeah. So I think I definitely feel grateful for my health. 
I feel grateful for my friends and family and the support system that I have. And I'm going to say just my safety as well. And that safety comes from like my finances, but also my home and just, yeah, all those three things, my health, family, friends, and security, safety. Love that. Love great, it. great. Amelie, you're up. I'm up. Um, I'm grateful for sunshine. I feel like I really feel a difference in my mood when there's like a string of winter sunny days. I'm grateful for honestly the personal finance community and conversations like this and meeting awesome people and meeting people whose values like really align with ours. I think that's incredible. And I'm grateful for um, I'm grateful for healthy food and access to healthy food. Yes. Nice. All right, AJ, you're up. Close uh, us out. <laughs> I'm super grateful for Brett, my fiance. He, um, he's in Utah right now and he like set me up for that. When I, I just came home from Houston, helping my sister move and he helped, like he organized the house so I didn't have to do anything. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, I am grateful for um, what I had so many thoughts in my head. Like I had like seven. Um, oh, I'm grateful for Susie Orman. I just love her so much. And um, she, I just keep coming back to her week after week. I love her. Um, and I'm grateful for, um, I'm grateful for conversations like this that are very inspiring and um and remind me that of where I've come from and, and how far I have to go, but in like a really like exciting, motivating way, not a scary way. Absolutely. Love that. Awesome. Well, we loved having you. We have to have you back. Um, good luck on your course today. <laughs> Thank you. I'm nervous and excited and it's a lot of work launching a course. <laughs> I, I am aware. Oh, yeah. I am aware. Yeah. Um, Thanks for listening to Everybody's Bad With Money. This podcast was presented by Beyond the Green Coaching. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and our website, beyondthegreencoaching.com. We have group coaching, private coaching, couples coaching, and corporate uh, wellness, uh, financial wellness uh, courses and workshops. Please like us on podcast Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Good job. Thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks.